Hi, welcome to Kirkpatrick Memorial's online worship gatherings. We have called these gatherings uh, City of Love gatherings. If you'd like to know more about why we have done that, you might enjoy the wee video that's at the end of this playlist where we explain a little more. My name is Christoph Ebbinghaus. I'm the minister at Kirkpatrick Memorial. Uh, we're a Presbyterian church in Ballyhackamore in East Belfast. Whether we're meeting together as a big crowd in our church building or scattered uh, as we are now through each other's homes, our aim is always the same. It's to help people get to know Jesus and to grow as his followers. By the way, we've designed this service as a playlist to autoplay on your device. To ensure that you get the flow of the service, please check that you're watching it as a YouTube playlist. City of Love Gathering 3. I'll pop again, pop in again later this morning with some Bible teaching. But for now, let me hand you over to Colin, who will be leading this morning's service. Welcome to our third online worship together. It's great that you are here with us. If you don't normally join with us in our building, well, none of us are there. And online videos is, is not exactly our norm either. Um, but one thing for us that hasn't changed is that as we come and join together, that we will be able to focus on Jesus and we'll be able to know more, love more and live more for him. We've been doing a, a morning series in the book of Mark entitled King's Cross. And in the series, we've been trying to get a better understanding of Jesus' identity as king and his death on the cross. And this week, as we approach Easter, it seems quite timely because today we're looking at Palm Sunday and we celebrate that together as Jesus is our king. But yet within a few days, he'll be approaching his death on the cross. Let me share a few words from Psalm 118. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. The Lord is my strength and my defence. He's become my salvation. Shouts of joy and victory resound. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Let us rejoice today and be glad. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You are my God and I will praise you. Some of you this week may have been standing in your streets on Thursday evening, clapping your hands or banging saucepans to celebrate our healthcare workers. Maybe you heard the, the horns blasting from Belfast Harbour, but people were united in gratitude and in praise. Well, the Palm Sunday story is much like this. It's sometimes called Jesus' triumphant entry, and it's, it's echoing the Roman triumphal entries uh, and ceremonies that would happen after battle. The kings would return, conquering after battle, and receive all the glory and the honour. People, again, united in gratitude and in praise. Jesus' entry has some differences, though. He was on a donkey, not on a noble steed like other kings might. And secondly, he's not returning from battle. He's heading into battle to his death. And Jesus knows this, and yet he rides on. And here today we see the meekness of the Lord, and we celebrate our king who is known in sacrifice. Let's pray to him as we come together. Lord God, our King, enthroned in splendour, yet here by our side, ruler of all, yet friend of all, we bring our worship, we bring ourselves, praising you for your unfailing love and celebrating your great goodness.
We come to you, Lord, hesitantly, overwhelmed by your greatness, yet you welcome us, arms outstretched. We come with our guilt, crushed by failure, yet you pick us up and wash us clean. We come with our uncertainty, our faith weak and wavering, yet you're always close, eager to bless us and lead us forward into a deeper experience of your love. So we come joyfully, gratefully, reverently, hungry to worship you. We come to you today, not because we have to, but because we want to. Because we want to sing our praise, offer our adoration, express our thanks and show our love. You've blessed us beyond deserving, enriched our lives to overflowing. And we want to tell you how grateful we are and how much you mean to us. We praise you, our King. Amen. As I previously read in Psalm 118, it finishes by saying, You are my God and I will praise you. And we're going to do that now as we sing Praise is Rising. The videos will all follow. Uh, we've got a, a Palm Sunday animation for the kids. And then after that we'll sing Ren Collective's King of Me. So let's praise God together now. Good morning. Uh, good to see you. Uh, those of you who know me will know that I'm not particularly strong with technology. I describe myself as a tech toddler. So it's been an interesting uh, few weeks for me getting to learn a lot more than I've ever known about YouTube, for example. Uh, managing a YouTube channel allows you to look at what YouTube calls your analytics. So, for example, I can see how many people come to our worship services. Uh, suppose that's no different than being there on a Sunday morning in the building. I can see what time you come at. I can see who comes in their pajamas. <laughs> no, I, I can't see that. Uh, don't worry. A anyway, it's good to see you. So we've been studying Mark's Gospel. And although this morning's Palm Sunday, uh, the point that we're at in Mark's Gospel is actually a little bit further on in the story. Uh, we're well into chapter 15. If you haven't already got one, grab a Bible. It'll help you to follow me as I speak here just now. Last week we were with Jesus at his trial. And we saw how the perfect judge allowed corrupt human judges to pass a judgment on him. Their verdict? Guilty. The sentence they passed? Death. By crucifixion. We saw how Jesus Christ, the one perfect person, who's ever lived, died in our place, in yours and mine and all the sinful people who've ever lived. In Jesus, God chose to die in our place. This week, as we continue to read on in Mark's account, we'll move with Jesus from his trial to his death. First of all, some soldiers have fun with him. We read about that in verses 16 to 20 of Mark 15. They mock him. But we're going to pick up the story in verse 20. Then they led him out to crucify him. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to a place called Golgotha, 
which means the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he didn't take it, and they crucified him. They crucified him. Crucifixion was designed to be the most agonizing and humiliating method of execution. The Romans reserved it for the worst possible offences, crimes against the empire. They'd take you to a public place. If they were doing it today in East Belfast, I think they'd do it down at C.S. Lewis Square, or they'd do it at the knock traffic lights. They'd nail you by hands and feet to a rough wooden cross. It was a slow, bloody spectacle. It was agonizing, and it usually ended in a horrible death by shock or asphyxiation, uh, by suffocation. I've heard sermons where the preacher's chosen to dwell on what we might call the gory details, but Mark doesn't. He doesn't really say very much about Jesus' suffering. He doesn't focus so much on the details of Jesus' death as on the meaning of it. He's less interested in the how and more interested in the why of Jesus' death. Let's see what we can learn from Mark about the meaning of Jesus' death. Let's pick up the story again in verse 25. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. They crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads, saying, So, you who were going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others. They said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. Did you pick that up? Darkness. For three hours in the middle of the day. People have offered all sorts of explanations for this darkness. Some say it was an eclipse. But a solar eclipse doesn't create absolute darkness for more than a few seconds. A solar eclipse can't happen during the time of a full moon. And we know that the Passover is always celebrated at full moon. This darkness doesn't seem to have been a run-of-the-mill solar eclipse. Some folks have suggested that the darkness was caused by a sandstorm. In the desert, if there's a strong enough windstorm, it can throw up dust and sand, enough to obscure the sun for days on end. But the Passover falls in wet season in Israel. So this darkness couldn't have come from a sandstorm. Remember what we said about Mark's account of Jesus' crucifixion? He's less interested in the how and more interested in the why. Well, it's the same here when he describes the darkness. Mark doesn't bother to tell us how 
the darkness came about, but he wants us to consider why there's a darkness. What does this darkness mean? Think about it for a second. What does darkness usually mean? When you're watching a, a movie and the director wants to tell us that all's not well, then he or she will resort to filming in low light. Whether the action's actually taking place at nighttime or not, there's often a way of using dark to show that something's gone wrong or is about to go wrong. We've learned over the years that when it gets dark, something's wrong. God's people Israel knew the same thing. They had been trained to understand that darkness in the daytime is a sign that something's wrong. They'd been trained to understand this, not by Hollywood, but by God's word, the Bible. You see, in the Bible, darkness in the daytime is recognized as a sign of God's anger and his judgment. So, for example, whenever God's angry with Pharaoh and Egypt, the penultimate plague is a plague of darkness. Whenever darkness falls, we know that God is acting in judgment. That begs a question, doesn't it? If darkness falls at just the moment when Jesus Christ is crucified, God must be acting in judgment. But, but who is God judging? God's judging his only son, whom he loves. He's judging Jesus, the only perfect person who ever lived. That seems weird, doesn't it? It doesn't seem fair. Why would a loving father judge his perfect son? Remember what we said last week when we thought about Barabbas? Jesus Christ chose to go to the cross. He chose to face the judgment that was rightfully ours. He chose to die in your place and in mine and in the place of every sinful person who ever has lived. Now, in the dark, Jesus is going down under God's judgment so that we can live beyond the judgment of God. Before we come to think more about that, watch this video to help you remember that Jesus has power over darkness. We're talking here this morning about the dark that descended as Jesus Christ was crucified. Darkness is something we rarely experience nowadays. Where I live in East Belfast, near the knock traffic lights, there's so much street lighting that it can seem as bright as midday, even in the middle of the night. Utter darkness the kind of darkness where you can't see your hand in front of your face is something that we rarely experience. To be in utter darkness for a moment can be quite uh, unsettling. But to live in utter darkness would be something that would destroy us entirely. In 1914, the Anglo-Irish explorer Ernest Shackleton and his crew took a ship to the Antarctica. They had planned to land their boat 
uh, walked to the South Pole and right through Antarctica to the other side. They had to abandon their plan whenever their ship, the Endurance, was uh, trapped in ice and was crushed. And for the next month, Shackleton and his crew struggled just to survive and to finally make their way home. One of Shackleton's biographers describes the, the difficulties that they faced, freezing temperatures and starvation. Of all these difficulties that they faced, the worst was the darkness. Near the South Pole, the sun goes down in mid-May and doesn't come back up again until early July. So there's no daytime, no sunlight for more than two months. Polar explorers all agree that there's no desolation like that of a polar night. Only those who have experienced it can fully appreciate what it means to be without the sun day after day, week after week. It's driven some people mad. The darkness can affect you in a variety of ways. Since you can't see in front of you, you don't know where you're going, so you're going to lose all sense of direction. Since you can't see yourself and you don't know or remember what you look like, you begin to lose all sense of identity. Since you can't see around you and you don't know whether there's anyone with you, you can feel very alone. A loss of direction, identity and a feeling of isolation, feeling alone. These, say the Arctic explorers, are some of the effects of living in the dark. The Bible talks a lot about light and dark. The Bible often refers to God as light and occasionally it even describes him as the sun and that's a very fitting metaphor. If you think about it, the sun is the source of all visual truth. It's by the sun that we see everything. The sun is the source of all biological life. Without the sun, nothing can live. So whenever the Bible calls God the sun, it's saying that he's the source of all life and all truth. That gives us something to think about, doesn't it? If I orbit around God, then my life is full of light and life. If I turn away from God, if I move away from him, if I orbit around something else, be it my career, a relationship, my family, if I make romantic love the center of my life, before long I'm living in darkness. I've turned away from the truth and the light and the warmth of the sun. Just as it's possible for Arctic explorers to live in physical darkness, so it's possible for each one of us to live in spiritual darkness. The same disorientations that a person would experience in an Arctic winter, we can experience in our inner lives and our souls. Once something becomes more important to me than God, then I can struggle with direction. I don't know where I'm going. don't even know where I should be going. I might chase after money, after career, after love and adventure. But when I get there, when I finally get these things that I think I'm looking for, inevitably I find that they're not enough. They're not big enough for my soul. They don't produce their own light. Rather than being the light at the end of the tunnel that I've been looking for, they're the tunnel that ends my light. 
if I chase something other than God as the center of life, I can lose my sense of identity. I start to care too much about what other people think and what they think of me. I'm under constant pressure to perform and to keep pleasing people. Before long, I don't know who I am anymore. In the dark, I've lost my sense of identity. When we're in spiritual darkness, we can end up feeling alone. I get trapped up in things that I'm living for and the things that I'm doing. It's all about me, and so I get proud and driven. I get scared or angry and full of self-pity. None of these things helps me connect with other people. The longer I'm in the dark, the more I feel alone. Loss of direction. Loss of identity. Feeling alone. These, say the Arctic explorers, are some of the effects of living in the dark. They're also some of the effects of living a life without God. Friends, we've been thinking today about Jesus' crucifixion. We've been thinking about why it happened in the dark. It happened in the dark because God was acting in judgment. This is why Jesus came. To experience your every darkness. To go into the darkness for you. And to bring you back into the light. Friends, however far from God you have lived, are living today, or might stumble in the future, know this. He's gone into the blackest darkness where your worst life is headed. He's died the death that you should have died, and he's saved you from God's righteous anger, his judgment. And he's done all this to bring you back into the light. Where do you find yourself this Easter season? Lost in the dark, without any direction, having lost all sense of identity, feeling alone? Come Come back to Jesus. Come and find your life in him. He'll restore your sense of yourself. He'll give you the direction that you're lacking in your life. And he'll never leave you alone. He is the light of the world. Hi everyone, good morning. Uh, my name is Dan, this is Emma. Uh, we're members of Kirkpatrick and we also lead District Youth. District Youth is our discipleship um, group for young people that meets on a Sunday night. And um, this morning we'll also be leading our prayers for others with the help of a couple of young people. District Youth normally meets on a Sunday night and the parents of our young people normally host us. Um, but we've had to rethink things as we've all been self-isolating. We've been meeting on Instagram Live and um, as we are now, we're on Zoom um, for our meetings. Great, we're just going to ask uh, Holly and Rhiannon a couple of questions. Um, why don't you girls introduce yourselves, tell us a bit about what life was like before um, the whole current situation and how life has changed for you. What do you do with your time? Um, well, I'm Rhiannon, I am in Newark at Strathairn and before all this I was in school doing work, planning to do A-levels and now I'm still doing work, unsure of what will happen with that, but 
yeah, it's, I've currently just been doing a bit of work on Zoom calling a lot of different people. And I'm Holly, I'm also in Lower Sixth at Strathairne and like Rhiannon, I was preparing to do my AS exams but now we're unsure if we're even going to do them at all but I suppose another thing that actually changed is I used to play a lot of sport and now all that's been cancelled and we're stuck indoors so it's been interesting. So life, life has changed then obviously, um, as it has for everyone. Why don't you tell us a bit about what are some of the the things that you guys and young people as a whole are, are worried about, some of the sort of major concerns and, um, and with that how we as a church family could be playing with you and playing for you? Um, yeah, I definitely think just school and the uncertainty of our exams at the minute have currently been a very big stress. Just the fact that we don't know what's happening with them. We know they've been cancelled, but there's no real clarity on what that means yet. And that's quite a bit, it's a bit scary time to not know, should you be doing work for something or could we be doing something else? It's kind of a bit in limbo at the minute. So that's probably the best, the one thing that really I could be doing getting prepared for. Yeah, no, definitely the uncertainty of our exams and trying to manage online skills definitely been really difficult and finding the motivation to do work when you can be just sitting about all day and not being able to see like our wider families, like our grandparents and stuff, like that's been really, I'm worrying about them, like that was a really difficult thing. Well, we will be praying for you and, um, and the church family will be too. Why don't you guys lead us in, in prayer now this morning? Yeah, no worries. Okay, as we come to God in prayer, please feel free to pause the video to be still and bring specific burdens which are on your heart. Let us pray together. Father God, as we are gathered now, one body in different rooms and with different people hear our prayers, we continue to pray for our world at this chaotic time. In the midst of all fear, uncertainty and grief, we ask, you that, you, we ask that you would remind us that you're in complete control. Remind us that you are completely good and that we have nothing to fear as followers of Jesus Christ. We ask you that you would move in new ways to bring your people closer to you. We think especially this morning of our young people. Many of us are certain, uncertain about the future. The loss of structure and routine and normality is often hard to deal with. And there's frustration that the hard work that has gone into big exams feels wasted. We're worried about our loved ones. We miss our friends and quality time spent with them. Help us all to trust in you. We ask that you might use this time to teach us more of your wonderful ways that this season might be one where we learn to rely on you more and more give us rest we pray give us the strength to serve where we can and give us the boldness to share good news with our friends when there doesn't seem to be much of it around over the coming weeks and months weeks and months would we grow deeper in your knowledge and the love of your uh, and love of you god we pray too for our wider church family we know that they are in such a variety of situations that people are facing Overwork, overworking, lack of work, financial burdens, family burdens, anxiety, stress. But you are Lord over it all. Thank you. Give our church leaders, Christoph and the elders, wisdom and discernment as they lead us at this time. Fill them with your spirit, we pray. As we are gathered now, one body in different rooms and with different people, hear our prayers. Amen. Folks, it's been great to have you with us today. Um, I don't have an awful lot of announcements or anything like that, but a couple of gatherings that I thought I'd mention to you that you might want to be a part of. 
In the City of Love update that I sent out on Friday, I mentioned a call to prayer. It's an invitation to God's people throughout Ireland to get together and to pray, to seek God in this time of pandemic and crisis. If you check that email, you'll find a link to a short video from the moderator of the Presbyterian Church inviting you to come and to join with other churches all over Ireland to pray. And you'll also find uh, attached to that email a PDF um, of resources that have been prepared for people to use to pray together three o'clock till four o'clock this afternoon, Palm Sunday. Folks, I would love it if you would consider joining with me and with Christians right throughout Ireland to pray this afternoon between three and four o'clock. Another gathering. One of the most meaningful uh, highlights for me in the Kirkpatrick Church calendar is our annual Good Friday service. I love it, the opportunity to come quietly, silently, for a time of serious reflection on the death of Jesus. So I'm going to miss on a Friday evening not having the opportunity to join with you down in the, the church and to do that. I don't want us to be without that opportunity on Good Friday. So I'm going to prepare a short service, a short reflective service. And I'm planning to post that around about 7.30 on Friday evening. You can obviously watch that at any time when you want. But like we're doing on Sunday mornings, it, it might be good if we chose uh, to, to prioritize that piece of time later this week, Good Friday evening, uh, to be together and to worship in that way. We will, of course, be back next Sunday morning with a special Easter Sunday celebration. I look forward to worshiping with you then. That's all uh, that I need to share with you today. Just keep a, an eye out at the end of the playlist for some outtakes. And then I'll see you Friday evening. God bless you in the week that lies ahead. In the storms, in the darkness, in this strange season of life we all find ourselves in. I hope that we're looking back in 6, 12, 18 months time. Looking back much like the disciples probably did when they got out of the boat after the storm at sea. Dripping wet and shaking but realising that in that storm they really, really got to know Jesus. He's the one who'll carry us through. He's the light in the darkness who'll direct us and never leave us alone. This Easter, may we invite him into our sinking boats and focus or refocus on him. As we finish our time together now, as you head out into this week, may you know the boundless grace of Jesus and the endless love of God. And may we reflect his love, his glory and his grace in all that we do. Amen. God bless. So long as it's safe to, and though it feels like we're all on house arrest, I attest to the Almighty One who's helping me find rest. So stay safe. Keep clean and unload all your anxieties onto Him. In the midst of this crisis, may we remember who Christ is. Right now, this pandemic surpasses understanding, but right now, we can know a peace 
the passives understand. Now, who would live in a house like this? Well, me and my family, as it turns out. Let's go inside and see what's going on. Starts with the daily bread, which is our schedule, which is quickly becoming known as the daily dread. And right now it is almost two o'clock, so we should be in some learning time. But as you can see, that is not happening at the moment. What we all really need right now is an upbeat song to sing, an upbeat song to sing. It feels good. When we're together, it feels good When we belong, it feels right When we're united, no divides Living life as one, yeah It's the first time you've been quiet all day A quick reality check, this whole situation is not normal I'm finding it really difficult not to touch my own face. And let's be honest, it doesn't always feel good when we're together. Sometimes it feels like really hard work. Okay, it's Monday afternoon. Um, I am at work um, in my office upstairs, which used to be Noah's bedroom, but it's been converted temporarily. Um, I have, you know, here's some work on the screen, just to prove that I'm actually doing some work. And um, I have an assistant with me which seems to be standard operating procedure for working from home during coronavirus. Okay, Jillian, how are we framing this time for the kids? Well, we were reminded the other day when talking to the kids about the story of Noah and um, how God provided an ark and a way out and a time for the family all to be together. And on the other side of that, God kept his promise um, to us. And also using Ezra's name, our second child, we described the time when Ezra decided to have a bit of a party and um, reminded the people of Israel about all the, the great things God has done and all the great rescues um, he has given us. Okay, so part of the week now is connecting with our church family and we are doing that right now on Skype. I've turned the camera off so they don't know that they're going to be in this video so hopefully they don't mind. Alistair's talking about his housework route. <laughs> I thought I'd take a moment to explain to you why I'm calling these gatherings City of Love Gatherings. I've been a fan of the Scottish group or band Deacon Blue ever since I was a teenager. Uh, and just a few weeks ago, they released a new album called The City of Love. Ricky Ross, the band's new lead singer, he explains the, the title. He said, I've discovered that the bones of St. Valentine are kept in a church in the Gorbals part of Glasgow, which is where we've made the album. That gave the album a feeling. 
It's a feeling of reconciliation and bringing people together. I wanted to tell different stories of love. That really anchors the record. Uh, by the way, I've stuck the title track City of Love on at the end of our service after the benediction. Think of it like the title's music at the end of a film and see uh, whether you don't enjoy it. The song and the title got me thinking. This is exactly what Jesus wants us to be. A city of love. He told us that we were lovers. In the upper room, he told his disciples, love one another as I have loved you. By this will all men know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. So we're to be lovers, um, but we're also a city. It's an image of the people of God that crops up loads of times right throughout the Bible. Uh, Isaiah often describes God's people as a city. At the end of Revelation, John describes uh, the people of God uh, as a, a city. And Jesus does so too. He once told his disciples that they were like a, a city on a hill. We often talk about church as a family or as a church community. What I love about this image, this city image, is the, the idea of the size, the space and the welcome. There's room here, room in this city for anyone who wants to come. I've latched on to this idea of a city of love, hoping that it might be an encouragement to you in, in a difficult time. We've had to give up meeting together. It feels like we're losing lots of things. A lot of our normal uh, stuff is being stripped away. Maybe there's something good in that. Maybe we need to leave some stuff behind so that we start to notice again the important stuff. As it says in the song, all that remains is a city of love.